Welcome to Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. Before I begin today's show, I just want to mention that immediately following this podcast is my exclusive interview with Valson Marmillion, a political legend who taught at the University of Florida and talks about what is happening there with the takeover of education. He also worked for President Carter and discusses Carter and other elected officials. I hope you will tune into that. Today I will be discussing what I call the education policy culture war. This plays out today at the lower level, elementary through high school, and in higher education. Today I focus on higher ed. The United States is currently experiencing a plethora of repressive laws aimed at teachers, the educational system, and in some states a complete Republican takeover of higher education. And you know, this assault on higher education is not new, it's part of a much larger culture war that has been simmering for over a hundred years. When you ask most people about the origins of this higher education battle, they'll probably mention the 1960s. But I'm going to go back a bit further. I have traced this back to at least 1917. Beginning in 1917 and picking up steam around 1920, the U.S. experienced the beginnings of what was known as the first Red Scare. The Red Scare has been widely described as hysteria, over the perceived threat posed by communists in the United States during the Cold War between the Soviet Union and and the U.S. The first wave of this Red Scare began in 1917 in the wake of World War I. The Russian Revolution of 1917 saw the Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin, topple the Romanov dynasty, and this kicked off the rise of the Communist Party. And what happened is... The result was international fear of the Bolsheviks and anarchists, and this was especially palpable in the United States. Um, This fear was at a high pitch in the U.S. Labor strikes were on the rise. The media sensationalized them as being caused by immigrants, and immigrants were sort of scapegoated. Sound familiar? (laughs) Uh, The Sedition Act of 1918 targeted people who criticized the U.S. government. If you enter higher education into this mix, um, we saw during this period that um, various states began to pass teacher loyalty oaths. Teachers began to be fired from their jobs for suspected of being sympathetic in any ways to communism or subversion. And this was, you know, this was not well-defined. It was sort of like random whims of people. Educators were fired for alleged associations with organizations that were deemed suspect. Teachers um, who included stories of race and justice were were often fired. Um, So if you fast forward to the second wave of the Red Scare that began in the 1940s, we'll see a much more pronounced Um, assault on education. So the 1940s and 50s was the period of McCarthyism. Senator Joseph McCarthy launched an assault on anyone suspected of being pro-communist, which included a lot of people, including professors. Before Richard Nixon was president, he served in the U.S. Congress, and it was there that he promulgated this Red Scare, and it was at Nixon's urging that legislation was passed to advance the Red Scare. Uh, In the Senate, Senator McCarran passed what became known as the McCarran Act, which limited free speech and allowed for investigation and deportation of immigrants accused of promoting communism or 
engaging in subversive activities. Uh, the law is also known as the Internal Security Act of 1950 or the Subversive Activities Control Act of 1950. It's interesting, a version of this played out at the University of Florida with the Johns Committee. Um, I got my undergraduate degree at UF and so I know a little bit about this. Uh, Florida Senator Charlie Johns launched his own version of this McCarthy-esque witch hunts, and he targeted male faculty and students suspected of being gay in the late 1950s. People were harassed and threatened, and some were fired. The threats including being outed, and at least 15 UF professors and more than 50 students just left after being interrogated by investigators, and I actually knew people who were interrogated, including the late Chuck Woods, a professor. I also met an interrogator, John Tilliston, who later had such deep regret that he went on an apology tour, and I knew him through my job, and John was very sincere and worked to repair the harm. Both Chuck and John are featured in a PBS documentary called The Committee, and I really recommend that people, especially students, watch this. It is available online at thecommittiedocumentary.org. You can also just Google PBS The Committee. <clears throat> A pivotal figure during this period who arguably was more responsible, had more power than Joseph McCarthy, was FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover and his associates created a set of laws and institutions that shaped how educators can function. This had to do with every social movement in the U.S. Um, in the 1940s, teacher loyalty oaths, still on the books today, occurred. Um, these Cold War loyalty oaths remain, and Hoover engaged in propaganda. Uh, the repressive apparatus of the FBI that he controlled was called the Responsibilities Program. It was an FBI-led um, effort to uh, infiltrate universities and schools and provide these schools with the names of specific teachers suspected of being anti-American, socialists, whatever, and hundreds of teachers were, were fired. Uh, this anti-communism hysteria from the 1950s still very much animates the anti-education rhetoric of the right today. Indulge me in a slight rabbit hole for context here. It was around this time that the U.S. aided a brutal military coup in Chile to overthrow a democratically elected president. President Allende uh, died in the presidential palace when he was under siege. Uh, Secretary of State at the time, Henry Kissinger, ordered the CIA to do this at the direction of Richard Nixon. So the U.S. helped bring a brutal dictator, Augusto Pinochet, to power, largely because of unrealistic and hyped-up concerns that the socialist president would hurt large corporations and lead to a spread of socialism. Ironically, today, Chile has a socialist president and has uh, you know, a much higher democracy score than the U.S. Freedom House rates Chile at 94, a solid A, while the U.S. gets a low B at 83 and dropping. I mention this to demonstrate how outrageous things were um, and what things were done in the name of anti-communism. Politicians had widespread support from the populace for all of this, and they were aided by the media, and people were just afraid of communism. You know, understandably so, 
However, the baby was thrown out with the proverbial bathwater with this high level of extreme behavior. Now let's move to the 1960s. Imagine a split screen with white men in suits, clutching cigars in smoke-filled rooms with whiskey glasses, people like President Nixon, Henry Kissinger, J. Edgar Hoover, and political elites at the time of the time. On the other screen, you have hippies, anti-war protesters, interracial couples, flower children. You know, imagine them holding signs that say women's rights, black power, peace, no to war. These are starkly different <laughs> split screens. Uh, and I think this framing helps us to understand one of the main reasons that universities have been on the front lines of these culture wars. NYU professor Mary Louise Pratt argued that the children of the 1960s with this focus on peace and love became faculty members on college campuses in the 70s. They embraced feminism, anti-racism, and developed new areas of study. They were on the opposite side of the so-called moral majority social conservatism that, you know, that swept the nation in the 80s with, with President Reagan. And it's easy to see how this collision happened. On the one hand, you had an insurgent and well-organized army of people fighting this pluralism, etc. And on the other hand, you know, you had the, the women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, the nascent gay rights movement, etc. And educators discussing and often embracing these movements. Pratt wrote about how this played out specifically at Stanford University in California. Coincidentally, Stanford was just in the news. Um, a conservative judge spoke there at the invitation of the Conservative Federalist Society student group. He was heckled by the students and essentially was unable to speak. This intolerance of free speech is sort of the opposite extreme of what I'm talking about today, and it's troubling. During the Carter administration in the 1970s, Stanford, through affirmative action, diversified its faculty with more women, Latino, and African-American professors. The curriculum also expanded to include things like women's studies, African-American studies, and a brand new Center for Chicano Research. This played out in universities around the country, and in the 80s, during the Reagan years, there was an intense backlash. And in response to the pressure from the right, the Christian right, Stanford required all first-year students to take a Western culture course. Uh, required reading included the Bible. Uh, course readings were by male European thinkers and excluded American writers, women, and any viewpoints other than the classical elitist. Uh, you know, the student body at the time was diverse, about half women, half non-white. And unlike the elective courses, you know, like women's studies, that draw the ire of conservatives, this particular course designed by conservatives was a required course. It was the antithesis of pluralism with its focus on tradition and white male theories. Um, this occurred in universities around the country. President Reagan's Secretary of State, William Bennett, played a big role in this campaign to stick to traditional curriculum, as they called it. And thus the battle plays out today, and oh, is it playing out today. The right, notably Fox Network and Republican governors, including Florida's Ron DeSantis, are laser-focused on revamping higher education in a hyperbolic, scorched-earth, warlike manner. 
conservative Christian colleges such as Hillsdale in Michigan are expanding. This conservative expansion is buttressed by the support of conservative politicians, institutes, and public and private funding. And a lot of tax dollars are being spent on this. Hillsdale now has a Washington, D.C. campus and is now marketing to a broader range of students. And DeSantis in Florida is molding public universities um, in the image of Hillsdale. In Florida, uh, DeSantis has taken over New College, um, a small honors university of about 700 students in Sarasota. It has a high number of Fulbright scholars and is considered a model as an experimental school focused on cooperation and intellectual inquiry. He installed all conservatives to the board, fired the president, and he he ousted not only did he oust the previous president as he did at the university of florida he installed a republican politician richard corcoran and gave him a six hundred and ninety nine thousand dollar salary wow i'd do it for a hundred here <laughs> here is a direct quote from um desantis when he spoke on april 6th to michigan republican party fundraiser quote we put six conservative board members on a small liberal arts college in Sarasota called New College. I put Matt Spaulding on. I put Chris Rufo from the Manhattan Institute and some other people on. They came in, got rid of the president, hired a president, eliminated DEI and CRT, end quote. He also said, quote, so we're going to be like a little Hillsdale maybe down there in Florida. Can you imagine how good that would be? End quote. He referenced Christopher Rufo. Rufo is a notorious crusader against pluralism and diversity, and he ginned up, he, he really started the culture war around grade schools and high schools that, that resulted in parents storming school boards, and he sort of made up a lot of stuff about CRT, which really isn't being taught in public schools, and he went into private corporations and filmed them having diversity training and then went on Fox and other outlets and sort of exaggerated what was going on. And it's just been um, a whirlwind of just frankly hyperbole. I'll talk about Rufo later um, when I talk about grade schools. What's happening at New College in Florida is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening throughout the United States, throughout the world. And many have um, framed the takeover of New College and the University of Florida in the context of uh, what is happening in Hungary. Beginning in 2017, Hungary's authoritarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban set his sights on Central Eastern University, CEU, one of Budapest's top universities. It was founded in 1991 by liberal philanthropist George Soros, who was born in Hungary. Soros is sort of the boogeyman uh, for the right. You hear, if you ever watch Fox uh, Network, you'll hear them sort of um, attacking him. The school was meant to serve as a model of post-Cold War openness and cosmopolitanism. Orban saw it as a threat. He saw it as a bastion of liberalism that threatened his far-right regime. And in 2018, he shut it down. Uh, fortunately, CEU, CEU was able to move to Austria in 2018 and is still thriving. Interestingly, allies of DeSantis have admitted 
that they are modeling their behavior after Orban and other dictators. Christina Pushaw, a longtime DeSantis aide, told an audience at a nat- national conservative conference in Miami last September that Orban's government gave her inspiration for the actions uh, the DeSantis administration is now taking. Here's a clip of Dr. Michael Ignatiev, a professor and former president of the Central European University, and in this clip he refers to it as CEU. What's happening at New College is outrageous, Um, but it's part of a much, much bigger pattern. Um, First of all, Florida, um, the Republican governor wants to basically change tenure rules um, and subject faculty to, you know, every five years having your tenure renewed or reviewed. And he wants to give presidents of Florida universities the right to basically make any appointment they want uh, to break the faculty uh, control over appointments. Now, nobody has a good word to say for tenure, right? But the point of tenure is to protect opinion, to protect unpopular opinion, to protect protect opinion that uh, does not meet majority approval or political approval. So the attack on New College is part of a much wider um, Florida-wide attempt to basically rewrite uh, the rules for a state public education system, which has a you know national reputation. So that's the first thing. You got to take New College and fit it in the Florida pattern. And then you've got, frankly, fit this into the pattern that this Republican governor appears to be set to run to be president of the United States. Good luck to him. Uh, he has every right to do so. But were he to be successful nationally, he will then want to make these programs go national. And so potentially this little story about New College is a huge national story about the future of higher education in the United States. And there are many governors and many educational authorities across the United States that are going after state-funded higher education and uh, in a kind of culture war um, in the name, this is the, a key point, in the name of academic freedom. Ron DeSantis is, is fighting woke in the name of academic freedom. Well, and what is particularly worrying is by aligning himself with academic freedom, he's essentially flying a false flag because he will simply destroy the academic freedoms at New College and across the Florida um, academic system and rewrite the rules so that he can put into these jobs people who are more aligned with his point of view. That's not academic freedom. That's just a conservative counterattack to impose his ideology on the entire state public system in the state of Florida. And that and then let's widen out. Now, I've, we, we've gone from New College to Florida to the United States. Let's go global. And this is where the new the CEU story comes in, because Viktor Orban made his attack on CEU. We would not buckle. We were able, because we had the resources, to move. We're now in a situation of freedom in, 
in Austria, so we're fine. But that attack enabled Orban to position himself globally as the warrior against liberal, cosmopolitan, um, uh, you know, pro-migration, pro-gender studies, pro-racial equality, all this stuff. We have to understand the international dimensions of this is a kind of conservative counter-revolution against higher education across the world. And, and that's the broader context. Mr. Orban speaks at conservative party gatherings in the United States. Conservative pundits and Tucker Carlson and various people come to Budapest. We, we have to see that international dimension of this as being crucial to what's, what's happening. These people don't give a damn about universities. They're after something else, which is to create wedge issues that build their brand with conservative voters. And if they smash up academic life in the process, they don't care, right? We have to understand the cynicism of this. He mentioned New College in Sarasota, Florida, and it is remarkable to me how fast um, this overthrow of the college has happened. Um, I've been to New College many times. I've known people that have graduated from there, who've taught there. Um, I really thought it was a great place. And I just spoke with a parent who's uh, no longer going to have her child go there. And they're trying to find another place. Before dismantling New College, DeSantis targeted the University of Florida. Uh, University of Florida is the flagship university and has a stellar reputation. It's now in the top five public universities in the U.S. He ousted uh, the president and installed former Nebraska Republican Ben Sass. The normal transparent hiring process was abandoned. Sass was met with protest. And as a graduate of UF, it makes me sad because I know how much effort and struggle went into fighting for minority rights. On campus, the Pride Student Union, the Black Student Union, Minority Affairs, Diversity Coordinator, Greater Women's Participation, all of these are relatively new in the last, you know, 20 years or so. And it's taken a long time for UF, which was a once, once uh, men only, to become one of this, as I said, top five public universities. And, you know, in order to be at that level, they had to attract the best and brightest. And in order to do that, all of these programs and culture of acceptance is necessary to be um, a preeminent university. And the past three or four presidents knew this. They worked on this. They created these diversity offices, the minority affairs offices, and worked to make all students feel comfortable. And by undoing much of this so quickly, it will not only disrupt many lives and cause faculty to flee the state, but it will undoubtedly cause UF to drop in the ratings. These politicians who are engaged in these efforts understand the important role of education in society. Education levels are correlated with democracy scores, countries with higher democracy scores, Western European countries tend to have higher levels of education and dictators, whether it be Viktor Orban in Hungary, who I mentioned, or Vladimir Putin, they benefit from an uneducated and uninformed selector. Putin does not want people to think critically about what they hear or read on his state-run media, nor does the president 
of North Korea. So I'm glad light is being shed on this. Since the 1950s, hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent on this concerted campaign or war, as I think of it, on public universities and so-called liberalism. Uh, there has been no countervailing effort by mainstream America or the left, or frankly by educators, to provide a counter-narrative campaign. You know, frankly, professors have been busy being professors and haven't had time, uh, you know, to, to, you know, wage a campaign, and why should they? Uh, so I think people in the mainstream and those who support public ed education have taken this for granted, and I am glad to see all of the national and international media focused on New College. In the past few weeks, California Governor Gavin Newsom just went to New College, had a press conference. I think this attention is positive. Frankly, if Newsom makes it a campaign issue, I think that's good because for the most part, politicians, as I said, who support higher education have just not campaigned on it. And I, and I hope that after the national press moves on to other stories and the cameras are off, that this, that this will continue to be something that people are aware of. And I hope politicians make a campaign issue of it, frankly. Here is another clip of Dr. Ignatieff, who nicely frames the gestalt of all of this. He who controls knowledge has power. Knowledge is power, and he who controls knowledge has power. You know, people like Ron DeSantis are shrewd. They know how central and how important universities are for the whole future of the economy of Florida, for the economy of the United States, and for, for Europe. Orban DeSantis are saying, aha, the universities matter, so I want to control it. If you control it, you'll kill it. It's a guarantee that you'll have mediocre, second-rate, institutions that no one is going to want to attend. I really like how he explains the gestalt of all of this, and I think that's a good place to leave it. Please stick around for my exclusive interview with someone who has taught recently at the University of Florida and can speak to what's happening on the ground there. As always, I invite you to leave messages, and please follow the show on Twitter at PoliticsCons. That's at politics cons the students at new college have set up a website we hyphen defy.org please check it out that wraps up this podcast until next time be kind to yourself and others <laughs>